TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this edition of Hoist the Colors, Tuesday, December 19th edition of the program here on 94.3 The Game. It is our final week of programming before the new year. We will go through Friday, and we will have our usual Friday show with Joe Sampson, make some picks, and then we will take all of next week off for Christmas. We'll be off New Year's Day and then back on January 2nd, but we will have a show through this week, and today we're changing things around a little bit. Of course, it is National Signing Day tomorrow. We're going to have a special there, and uh, we'll just be talking about the signees as they roll in. We'll try to get a few commits on as well, potentially, and we'll see what happens there. But it'll be a big day of coverage on Hoist to Color. So we're moving up Bobby Harward to today, and uh, both of us are remote. I'm in my home studio. He's in his home office, and but we're still bringing you this broadcast and Bobby, uh, welcome back to the show. We we finally have some some ECU football positive news to discuss, man. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Um, glad we got it to work out to bump up a day earlier. But yeah, an exciting weekend for ECU. Sounds like uh, it was a successful one, and kind of uh, start to see some of those commits roll through and, and see how the roster is going to take shape for next year. No doubt. The big story, of course, Caton Hauser, the Michigan State transfer quarterback, has committed to East Carolina. We talked about him last week a little bit coming into the visit, Bobby, but now he is officially a Pirate. The first transfer commitment of the uh, the offseason for ECU, so we'll kind of get into what this means. Philip Pilkington as well producing today. We'll get his take on the news of Caton Hauser as well in the program. So we'll start there. We'll go through some of the other news trickling out. Uh, The the Pirates got another wide receiver commit this morning from NC State. We'll touch on that news. They also have a transfer from Louisville who has announced, and they have a few. uh, They also have a few silent commitments as well, uh, which we uh, will will keep off the radar for now, but we'll talk about some of the top targets to the Pirates Raptor. All right, Bobby, so Caton Hauser, he commits to East Carolina. We, We thought going into the visit the Pirates had a shot. California kid making the trip. Of course, he was at Michigan State, but making the trip east to ECU. We knew distance from home could be a factor. And from talking with him after his commitment, he said he's basically been so far from home already in in East Lansing, Michigan. It didn't really play a huge role. He was just more looking for the right fit. And for whatever reason, he found that fit at ECU for a variety of different things. And we'll start with your kind of initial take on landing Caden Hauser. What do you think this means for ECU football in the outlook of this offseason as being the first big step? Yeah, I think it's um, twofold. Uh, number one, you secure your quarterback. It sounds like uh, just reading your reporting on all of this that uh, JDB had a pretty thorough process going through a lot of different quarterbacks. He finally, you know, honed in on Caden uh, Hoser and found that you know that this is the guy that best fits my system and was able to secure um, a commitment for him. So number one, they secure their guy that they want. They have a quarterback uh, to work with, and I, I would assume would lead the first team come spring practice. Number two, it allows them uh, to be able to recruit and say, hey, we have a quarterback that's here, uh, wide receivers, running backs, this is who we're looking at to run our offense. Um, And then 
Hauser himself can, you know, recruit. He can recruit other wide receivers. He can try to recruit some of these offensive linemen, and, and they could use him as a recruiting tool as well. Philip Pokington producing today's show. Philip, uh, we'll get your take on this as well. When you heard the news, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week when he was coming in for the visit. You know, what do you think of the match of Caden Hauser to East Carolina coming from Michigan State? Kind of a weird situation with Mel Tucker being fired. He was thrown into the fire. You know, had some ups and downs, has some experience, maybe doesn't have all the experience you want, but what do you make of this situation with Hauser coming to ECU? I think it's good, and the big reason that I think it's it's good is that he was, like you said, he was in a terrible situation with the Mel Tucker deal, and on top of it, Bobby talked about how good the defense is, and I'll let him give those specific stats when it's back to his turn to talk, but how good the defenses he was facing was. And so, yeah, to your point, I go, you know, he didn't set the world on fire, but also there were plenty of quarterbacks that played those same defenses in a very tough Big Ten that struggled even more than he did. When you go back and watch the tape, and he does make a mistake, it seems to not affect him on the next play or on the next drive like it did Mason Garcia, who is another former four-star commit. So um, I think there's a lot of potential there. Unfortunately, he's not the most experienced. This was only his redshirt freshman season. So I think that's slightly a bad thing, but it could also be slightly a good thing because he hasn't gotten totally comfortable yet in being a starting quarterback, so it won't be maybe as much of a tough transition going into a new offense, new offensive coordinator, and someone who wants to make you you know, run their style in John David Baker's case. So uh, I think that John David Baker has a great opportunity to mold Kate Hauser into the quarterback he wants him to be, and uh, with only seven starts under his belt and 11 game at games of game action there's you know not as many bad habits developed or just other habits developed so i think the ceiling is very high i don't think the floor is extremely low but it's obviously lower than where you want it to be but we're not going to get any of the uh the best quarterback in the country here at east carolina so it's about what you would expect and i'm very optimistic Bobby, I know when we had talked last week, you had watched kind of limited film on, on Hauser. Have you had a chance to, to watch any more, dive any deeper into you know his, his first year as a starter? He started seven games for the Spartans. What did you kind of make of things as you dove into the numbers or the film or anything? Yeah, uh, first of all, that that Michigan State team was just a complete mess. I, I mean, it's well documented um, between the Mel Tucker firing and just them trying to really just keep things together for the remainder of the year. Uh, a few things stood out watching the film, uh, his ability to make off-script plays, which is a big deal. Um, again, he's, he's not the fastest guy in the world, and, and we talked about this, but he's elusive enough and he's quick enough to escape the pocket and make plays. The other thing I liked was his quick release as well as his accuracy with the football. So those are two important things, especially in this offense. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, shame cardedness, I guess you could say, with the, the accuracy um, and the ability to make off-script plays, which is encouraging. Um, looking at, in terms of the numbers, they're not great. They, if, you, if you look at them, you know, 1,100 yards over seven starts, six touchdowns, five interceptions. But, you know, you, you look at those numbers and you're like, okay, man, that's not not ideal coming in for a guy you expect to be the starter and make some noise um, offensively. But when then you take a step and you look at the defenses that they played, uh, Philip alluded to it there, and we talked about it uh, collectively before we went on air. Uh, five of the seven starts were against top 19 defenses. So Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State were 
uh, ranked one, two, and three. Nebraska was ranked 13th and Rutgers was ranked 19th. Again, these, I know a lot of the defensive stats can, I'm pulling from the NCAA website is where I'm pulling from the total defense ranking. So obviously between their offense being a complete mess and then facing five top 20 defenses, you're not set up for success. So, so knowing that and taking all of that information together, I do think it was pretty impressive. Uh, some of the numbers and the things that Caden Hauser was able to do. I do think as well, this offense is going to fit his style of play more so rather than that 12 personnel, uh, you know, ground and pound using the run to set up the pass. It's something I noticed too, Bobby. You mentioned that, and you know, part of it was Michigan State couldn't possess the ball much like ECU this past year. But he only threw the ball over thirty times one game, and that was Indiana. That was when he threw for three touchdowns, two hundred seventy-seven yards. And you know, there, there were some plays where, when I watched some of the games, he made you know poor reads and, and threw some balls he shouldn't have thrown. But he also was a freshman quarterback. Like I've seen some people compare him to Flynn or even other quarterbacks ECU has had. And the past or other quarterbacks around the country, we we do have to remember he was a freshman. Yes, a redshirt freshman, but he's a younger. Uh, I think he's only nineteen now, so he's still a younger than uh, normal redshirt freshman. And he's being thrown into this brutal situation. I think he got hit like eighteen times in the season finale against Penn State or something like that, but kept getting up. So he's he's faced some adversity already. Uh, he's shown toughness. Uh, again, he took a beating in some of these games, much like ECU quarterbacks did this past year. So, Bobby, how much do you feel like him kind of going through this situation already and not just coming in as, all right, he was a four-star quarterback who sat behind you know, a, a multi-year starter and now he's looking for his chance. He, he kind of was that, but then he also played and faced some adversity. So do you feel like that makes him a little bit more game-ready, hungry coming to ECU? I think so. I mean, he has some battle scars now, so that's, you know – he, he's seen live bullets and he's seen, um, some really good ones and some really fast ones in, in the sense of those defenses as, that he faced. Um, the biggest thing is really for him in the spring, uh, coming in, he just needs to A, grasp the offense collectively as, as a whole unit. They'll need to, to grasp a new offense. But for him too, it's going to be so important just to mesh and, and, uh, work well with his teammates, you know, get to know them a little bit better, uh, off the field. It seems like he has a great mindset, you know, um, in terms of wanting to come in here and work, he's not really expecting to just be given the job, which is, you know, encouraging sometimes these, uh, you know, he was a higher rated recruit coming out of high school and especially at the quarterback position, you can deal with some of these egos that just really want to get handed things now, nowadays. And it sounds like he wants to come in and work, which is an encouraging thing. Um, you know, yeah, I'm just excited what he can bring to the offense. I know I mentioned it last week, you know, just his style of play and a lot of his, uh, the way he looks physically reminds me a lot of Matt Corral. Um, you know, with that quick release, kind of long, slender body. He's probably not as quick and athletic as Corral was, but in terms of body type and frame, I, I wonder if that's what JDB kind of saw in him as well. And I, I will say this, just from talking with him, Bobby, I, I think and from, you know, doing a quick interview, I, I feel like his mentality fits East Carolina in a, in a major way. Like, he does seem to have a chip on his shoulder. He does seem motivated. I've talked to a lot of recruits over the years, Usually you can get a pretty good feel if they're just coming from a Power 5 school expecting to show up at a school like ECU and just play just because they're going down to a group of five or whatever. Uh, you know, that's kind of how some guys look at situations when they transfer down. But I, I feel like Caden is not that guy. He, you know, he's coming in. 
He he knows he's got to compete. He knows ECU's going to bring in another quarterback. Uh, he does kind of fit the mentality here. He talked with Holton Aylers during the visit, uh, from what I heard, just about kind of embracing the you know the culture here and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like he he wants to be that leader. He's got the makeup to be that leader, and that's something that look no knock on Alex Flynn or Mason Garcia. I'm sure they were trying, but it never happened last year. You do have to go out and perform. You got to go out and win games. But it feels like he he understands what being a quarterback is, and that means coming in trying to be a vocal leader. Now that's easier said than done, Bobby. But I feel like he's got the right mindset. And, and last year, look, they just they didn't have any offensive leaders outside of maybe Rajay Harris. So I feel like finding a way to establish himself as a leader in winter workouts and even in spring ball as best he can is going to be vital, don't you think? I do, I do, and that's another thing I failed to mention earlier is, you know, he's coming in well coached uh, to play the quarterback position. He did a lot of that, what is it, like Elite 11 stuff, you know, in high school, and, you know, technique-wise, you know, he, he's really comfortable. You can tell he knows what he's doing, so there's not as much coaching from a throwing mechanic standpoint that's having to take place. Uh, no knock on Mason Garcia and South Carolina high school football, but it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, South Carolina high school football is better than North Carolina, in my opinion, but in terms of the coaching that he was probably receiving at his school may not be up to par to what, you know, Caton has received. And you can just tell he seems to be a little bit more polished as a, as a uh, pass thrower. All right, let's get into the conversation of what does ECU do at quarterback now. You've got Caton Hauser in the mix, of course. He will enroll in January. He will go through one of workouts spring practice. I think he told me his report date will be January 5th, 6th, 7th, somewhere in there before the start of the spring semester. So we kind of ran the scenario last week and in weeks past. You want two guys, but how do you go about getting two guys? And interestingly enough, they get a guy with three years of eligibility left that has some experience, and so I think that's a great starting point. But still, you look at the roster now, we don't know what Alex Flynn is going to do. And then, of course, you've got Raheem Jeter coming back as a registered freshman who has played in one game. And then you have Cole Hodge, a true freshman, who has uh, who has obviously not played in a college game and won't be in until the summer. So you're still pretty thin at that position, and you're one hit away from maybe being at Raheem Jeter or Cole Hodge if Flynn doesn't come back. So we'll go to Bobby first. You know, do you try to get another guy in here for the spring? You will have another round of visits here in late, in early January, excuse me, before the semester starts. Is it imperative you get somebody in there or can you afford to go through spring, see how that goes and then add somebody? I don't know. What would you try to, to try to accomplish for the coaching staff as far as another quarterback? I think you need to get a scholarship guy in, honestly. Um, I mean, bottom line, they have to get an arm in regardless for, for practice standpoint. You know, even if Alex Flynn comes back, you, you have three arms, but you really need four or five from a, from a practice standpoint. I guess they do have that walk on that, that has been there for a little bit as well. So maybe they have four, but if Alex doesn't come back, you only have three arms and granted, you know, you're not split as much in terms of offense and defense being separated during spring ball. And it's a lot of good on good, but still throughout the whole practice, I'd imagine JDB's, uh, offense is throwing the ball quite a bit between, uh, you know, their prep routine of, of pat and go or some sort of routes on air stuff that they'll be doing. So I, I think it is imperative that they bring in a another scholarship guy. I don't know um, if it's the last scholarship guy they, they can bring in. I, I don't know. You, you say that and you also hate to just throw away a scholarship by bringing a quarterback to throw in for spring practice. But 
really, I, I don't know realistically who they could bring in uh, from an experience standpoint that that is really going to want to be the guy when they come in here. A name that I think of is Jefferson Boaz from UNC. Uh, he's from North Carolina. He's a big guy. He didn't play quarterback much at Carolina, but, you know, he could be a guy that you come in here and I think would fit nicely backing up uh, Kaden Hauser, um, but also may not have the expectation of being the guy. Yeah, you got to find that balance. And maybe there is another quarterback out there with experience. I know ECU is still talking to guys who have started big games, played in big games, won big games. And, of course, they see Kaden Hauser is committed to ECU, so maybe they're still going to assess their options, see if there's a more clear path. You know, if you come to ECU right now, you're going to have to beat out Hauser for the starting job. It's not impossible, but, you know, that's something that every transfer is going to take into account. That's part of the reason Hauser came to ECU is because ECU doesn't have anybody really on paper in front of him right now. And if he comes in and earns the job, he could very well be the starter on opening day. He would be the odds on favor right now. But I, I still feel like you got to avoid being in a situation like last year where you just – you thought you were pretty good at quarterback in the offseason – and then you got into the season, it was just a complete disaster. So, Philip, what's your read on this situation? Like, how, There's a delicate balance. If you're ECU, you obviously want to give Hauser the opportunity to be the guy. I think they believe in him. But you also have to have insurance uh, for you know injuries or just if things don't work out. You know, Coach Logan always talks about you're only as good as your backup quarterback. And right now, I'm not 100% sure who the number two guy would be. That is, even if Alex Flynn does come back, there's just not a lot of you know, certainty at that backup position. So I think if you're Mike Houston, you 100% have to do everything you can to go get a guy. Now, obviously, people were upset we didn't get a transfer quarterback last year because, kind of to your point, everybody thought Mason Garcia was going to be the guy. Anybody in the portal thinks Kate Hauser is going to be the guy. So it's a lot easier said than done to go get a guy. However, I think it's something you should definitely try and do. Maybe you go down to, say, the JUCO ranks. Find a kid who started maybe as a true freshman this year and balled out because you could even bring that guy in and say, look, you've got three years of eligibility left. So does Kate. But as long as you don't play this year, you could then redshirt and then end up still being where you have three years going into next year. But, hey, if Caton goes down, there's a good chance you're the number two. Now, that's a perfect scenario, but, uh, you know, it's something that it's something they can maybe go out there and, and think about. Or, you know, to your point, Bobby, if you could go get a Power 5 other guy who's been a backup, you know, maybe seen some time here and there, but maybe still has four years of eligibility left, maybe played in three games or something this season, that would be great too. But the, whatever scenario you try and do, no matter what it is, it's going to be easier said than done. But I think if you're Mike Houston, at the end of the day, there's no more important position in any sport in the world than quarterback. And if you've got to use one of your 85 on a guy that ends up never playing, I would rather use that one of those 85 to bring in a guy and it not work out or Kaden Hauser balls out and never gets hurt than he get hurt week one and we go, crap, what do we do now? So 100% I say you got to go get somebody. The perfect scenario is to have unlimited money like Oregon. Then you can go buy Dylan Gabriel and then buy a five-star quarterback from UCLA as his backup in the future. Must be nice to yeah. uh, to have that money. They just Till got night, Dante baby. Moore from UCLA as well. So they're set for a while. All right, maybe we should look into their third-string guy. 
Okay, let's uh, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about the other transfer portal additions, targets. Also, we're live on YouTube, Facebook. If you've got a question for us regarding the portal or anything, drop it there. We'll get to it over the next 40 minutes before we close up shop here on a Tuesday. We'll be right back. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in to Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday, December 19th edition of the program. We just broke down what the transfer edition of Caton Hauser means for East Carolina football. And we do have some more breaking transfer news while we're in the commercial break. A uh, defensive player just announced his commitment to East Carolina. In the portal, it is four, former four-star linebacker Damian Wilson, who is a native of Kings Mountain, uh, North Carolina, spent the last three seasons at Missouri. He will have two years of eligibility remaining. We just published that article on Hoist the Colors. He was one of these silent commitments. He's a projected inside linebacker. So Damian Wilson goes by the nickname Day Day. Is coming home to East uh, to North Carolina. He will play at East Carolina, so we'll get into that discussion here in a little bit. Pirates now have added Caden Hauser, Raheem Craig, a defensive end slash outside linebacker, likely going to play outside linebacker in ECU's defensive scheme. Damian Wilson, a uh, an inside linebacker, and this morning, wide receiver Anthony Smith from NC State also announced his commitment to ECU. So. Bobby, there's also a, a, at least one more silent commitment out there, and we'll get into some of the other targets here in a little bit. But what do you make of the transfer hall to this point for ECU early in the process of this offseason? Yeah, um, first I want to start with the uh, the uniform combination that that Day Day was wearing when he announced. It's probably my favorite combination with the uh, modern throwback purple and the in the gold pants. So the, that's pretty solid. You can't go wrong with that. Um, in, in terms of the thoughts, you know, glad they're starting to get some guys. Glad they got an edge rusher. I think this uh, Day-Day is going to uh, fill in nicely defensively, uh, fill in the spot that, that Taylor Jackson left, um, going to Liberty, which is interesting in and of itself. I know he's, a, I believe, a D.C. guy, but still, you know, in my opinion, that's still a step down. Uh, but, you know, maybe he entered the portal thinking he'd have some more things than, than actually came to fruition. Um, still to me, you're missing the offensive line and, and you still need some receivers. Um, you know, Smith did commit. I'm not, uh, overly excited about that. I know the, the kind of thought process is having a deep threat, but you're at, uh, one place for four years and you, you barely put up stats. So I, I still think you need two receivers. Um, offensive line wise, you still need three. So uh, those those two positions are pretty important, and um, I, I'm trying to, again, just hold water and see the process all the way through with the O-line, but I am starting to get concerned a little bit. Yeah, the, so the, with the offensive line, Bobby, I feel like – and I feel like offensively in general, they're kind of playing catch-up because you think about it, the offensive staff – when they got basically their their boots on the ground here at ECU, they had to go shore up the offensive commitments for the high school and JUCO ranks, which some of those guys were wavering. You know, Alan Mogrich had done a solid job recruiting this offensive line class. 
all of a sudden you get in. Basically, Matt Maddox and the offensive line coach had you know five, six days to go out and see all the offensive linemen. At that time, he's also trying to see guys in the portal. You got the running backs coach who is doing the same thing. I think like on the last day before official visits started, maybe even when official visits were on, he was going to see the running back commit in Ohio. You know, you got, of course, uh, John David Baker trying to find a quarterback. And, I, and the new tight ends coach just got here. So I wonder, like, how much time have they really had to dive into, all right, here's here's what we have, here's what we need, and here are the guys who are going to go replace them. So I feel like that January 2nd to 7th official visit week is going to be vital for that offensive line, for maybe some other receivers. So, what you know, do you feel like that's a valid reason for why we're seeing kind of a, a slower start to, to getting portal commitments. And by the way, there's still a guy or two, an impact guy or two, I think he'll announce shortly. But uh, is that part of the reason you think? Uh, yeah, I, I do think that's part of it, especially with the offensive line. Um, but also at the same time, I mean, you have so many recruiting guys and analysts and, um, you know, recruiting personnel that also should be on top of it. Um, they should have a list of guys and it really should be, you know, Maddox, JDB, some of the new tight end coach and, and Freeman at running back, like they should be going through that list that has already been pre-filtered from that recruiting staff and those analysts and GAs. Um, I, I go back to, you know, so that was one of our responsibilities when the coaches were on the road. Like we went through uh, a lot of these transfers films. That That's what we spent our day doing, going through transfer film, going through states, uh, high school ball that, you know, um, may, we may not heavily recruit as much just to make sure we're not missing people through the cracks. So, uh, yes, I, I do think that's why we're seeing a delay. So I really hope they have a, a list of names, though, that have already been filtered through from, from that recruiting staff and some of those analysts. So Bobby is not willing to give him a pass is what you're saying. You want to see, you want to see some more, but, but I get it. I mean, you got to get, you know, really, if you think about it and we'll circle back and go through some of these, transfer additions individually here in a minute but you need these guys in or as many as possible for spring ball Bobby because you're you know you have to essentially start an offense from scratch and it's going to be very hard to get somebody coming in in the summer and try and really implement them in the offense the way you want to I mean you you almost have to kind of know what you have a little bit head into a really realistic make or break year by the summer you, you gotta, you gotta at least have a base. And so I feel like you need your big pieces in. Maybe you can add a piece or two after spring ball, but you, you probably want your, your majority of your offensive personnel in for spring, don't you think? 100%. And specifically in the offensive line. I mean, uh, again, <coughs> excuse me. You can bring in a wide receiver a little bit later. It's easier to plug and play a wide receiver than it is an offensive lineman. So I, I would think you would want to have those guys in. Um, and again, I'm, I'm going to let this January window pan out because I'd imagine that's what Coach Maddox and JDB and staff are all doing this, you know, through these Christmas holidays is heavily watching offensive linemen recruits. I know we just put out uh, a new offer to a North Carolina Central offensive lineman yesterday. So I do want to let the process play out. I know a lot of people are, you know, trying to compare ECU to UNC Charlotte and yeah, based upon the numbers that those recruits, uh, you know, their rankings or whatever in high school and their offers and being SEC guys, it is impressive. But also, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week. How many times did we get excited as ECU fans from these SEC guys coming in and they just, you know, 
just fart and go off and we don't hear from them again, you know? I mean, that's the thing is you can take, I feel like a lot of people get in love with the logo this time of year from a transfer portal perspective. And you can't just take a guy because he played even that, you know, for, for, for the guys he's he's taking right now, just because Damian Wilson played at Missouri in the SEC doesn't mean he's a good player. I mean, I think obviously He's got talent, but he's got to come in and earn a job, uh, you know, learn this scheme. So there's just a lot that goes into it from a fit perspective. You know, realistically, you can look at the transfer classes of the last few years for ECU and basically any school in America. You're going to have hits. You're going to have misses. It's probably going to be about 50-50 if it's a good transfer class or if it's a good recruiting class. So I feel like, you know, I do like that Charlotte's taking a bunch of guys up front because what you need to do on the offensive line is just – Essentially take as many as you can and then see which guys pan out, see which don't, and then you figure it out from there. So I do like their approach there. But they also have some NIL money that they're working with. I'm sure that's playing a role as well. But I definitely would like to see more numbers for ECU on the offensive line going forward. So we'll continue to monitor that situation. All right, let's get into a few of these guys specifically. Okay, Anthony Smith, the receiver transfer from NC State. So I talked to him this morning, Bobby, and – the thing that stood out the most from a mentality standpoint, he gave me a quote. And I basically kind of asked him, hey, what is your, you know, what, what's your motivation right now? You played NC State. He, he made some big catches. You know, he's kind of a deep threat, vertical pass guy, you know, 4-3 sprinter, track guy. He, he only played high school football for two years. And so we've kind of seen this story before, learning how to play football at the Division One level. It's not easy. And he's still, I think, looking for consistent snaps and he kind of said my main motivation is just to go out there he's like i know no no position is given to anybody so i'm going to work as hard as i can with a giant chip on my shoulder every day to prove i should be on the field as much as possible he's like that's what i'm all about i'm going to come in and work so he's another guy mentality wise at least he's saying the right things Uh, at nc state i did find it interesting that he had of his 30 career targets 17 have been beyond 20 yards downfield. So basically he's he's going to be running go routes. He's going to be running posts. He sounds like a taller version of Josiah Hatfield. Now he made some catches on his practice and game tape that were better than what Josiah has done at times. So I don't know. Like I feel like there is some upside here, but I think no matter what, there is a role for him. I just I still think you need to add another outside receiver, but I do think there is a role in this offense to, to – if nothing else, keep a safety at home when he's on the field, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, I understand from a philosophy standpoint offensively what they were going for. Um, you know, we heard it when JDB got hired that they wanted some somebody that could stretch the field. Um, and, and I think they see a lot of that in Anthony Smith from his speed. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I don't know if that's the sole person you can rely on. I think uh, for me to feel comfortable, I would bring in another deep threat guy, another guy that can stretch the field and let them two battle it out. Um, because, again, four years at one place, 13 catches, that's not ideal. You know, I did uh, watch that highlight tape from YouTube that you had posted in one of those threads. And, again, you know, some of those catches were competitive catches. So that's that's what impressed me. Uh, but all of them were deep balls. Um, when, it, when it went to the one-on-one practice film stuff, I, I, that's kind of when I turned it off just because, you know, yeah, some of that stuff looks good and, and looks great, but in reality, you know, those receivers should be winning 70, 80% of the time against the DBs in one-on-one drill. 
All right, so Pirates get Anthony Smith there. We'll, get, we'll circle back to more of the receiver targets in our next segment. All right, defensively, they add Raheem Craig, who, again, another guy coming from Louisville who had not played a lot at Louisville. But I do think, you know, he was playing down defensive end at 6'3", 235. And that's just not going to, you know, you can't play full-time at that size in a four in a 4-3 scheme. And so I feel like he's going to be a much better fit. EC wanted him out of high school for the outside linebacker position. He went to Louisville. Now he's coming back to ECU. He basically is the same size as Jeremy Lewis. We'll see if he's the same caliber athlete. But I do like that you have him and Sam Danka, two long edge rushers who I think have some athleticism. So what would you make of the Raheem Craig move? I really like this move. I like this pickup. You know, we talked about towards the end of the year having to get an edge guy, a guy that can rush the passer. And and for, you know, he played seldomly at Louisville, but when he did play, they utilized him in that pass rushing role. So that's encouraging. Um, You know, want to see now how how he adapts in the defense. I think Blake Harrell does a great job of adjusting to his personnel. Um, So how they utilize uh, him. But having him and Danka, you know, two guys that are uh, lengthy, explosive and can get after the pass, passer, um, you know, are, are two, two good depth pieces to have. All right, and Damian Wilson, uh, another guy who I think, like, ECU has had success with these type of players, similar to Craig. Big recruit out of high school, played a decent amount at Missouri, but never was a full-time guy. Missouri was really good this past year. He's got two years of eligibility remaining. Pretty good size at six feet, 225. He's, he's got long arms, so he should be able to shed blocks that way. Uh, profiles as an inside linebacker. Like you said, losing Taylor Jackson. You know, you've got a lot of young linebackers in that room under Blake Harrell, Bobby, so I feel like it was imperative to at least add an older guy for competition. And I think this will just be a case of, hey, he's got talent clearly, but now he needs to go out and prove he can be the guy to, to start in this defense because there's a lot of numbers in that room. It's just a matter of kind of who's going to rise to the top. Yeah, this is another one that I like. Um, again, I, th- I think he's a plug-and-play replace guy for Taylor Jackson. And the, and the great part for him coming in here and then getting him this spring is that he can participate in spring ball and hopefully learn the defense. Um, I, I, the way that defensive staff works, I don't expect them to give him the starting position. But it, in, in my vision, in my head, I, I just see him coming in here and being able to really fill in for those shoes at Jackson. And, again, it's just – that's what impresses me with this defensive staff is they're so strategic in who they go after and they have a type and they go after and they secure that type. And again, I think Damian Wilson just fits right in uh, with Taylor Jackson. All right. There's your breakdown of the commits who have announced to this point. Let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will talk about some of the other transfer targets who visited this past weekend, what it would mean if East Carolina gets their commitment, maybe look at other needs as well and also take any, Questions as well as we move forward deeper into the show. This is Voice of Colors on a Tuesday. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Voice the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in to Voice the Colors here on this Tuesday, December 19th edition. Heavy transfer portal edition of the show. Again, we got signing day coming up tomorrow. And uh, we will have full coverage there. We're probably going to have to record a little bit earlier because we've got a press conference. Mike Houston will have a signing day press conference at 1 o'clock. And so right now we're looking at a 10.30 live stream. We will re-air the show at 12 noon on 94.3 The Game, but we'll keep you updated there 
Uh, Philip, did you have something to say before the break? No, I just, I cut to your camera and it killed his audio. And I think Bobby had one more point. So I do apologize about that, Bobby, if you were trying to still say something about (laughs) whatever you were talking about. Did, Did you have anything to add, Bobby? No, I was just correcting the way I phrased that to make sure people understood uh, Wilson is going to replace Taylor Jackson, not alongside Taylor Jackson, since since Taylor has obviously left the program. Gotcha. Yeah, he is going to Liberty, yeah, which you discussed on earlier. We'll see him next week or next year in week four as the Pirates travel to the Flames. By the way, Bobby Howard's appearance today brought to you by Basil's Restaurant and Pizzeria. You guys know where they are, over by the AMC Movie Theater, 1675 East Fire Tower Road, Greenville, North Carolina. Check them out. Pasta, pizza, salad, burgers, sandwiches, they've got it all. Basil's, check them out over by the Movie Theater on East Fire Tower Road. Wanted to give a shout-out, too, to the women's basketball team. Big win last night. 65-44 65-44 over George Mason. As I pull up the box score now, George Mason actually came into the game 8-1. and one, And the Pirates had had a two-week break since their last game over Maryland Eastern Shore. They get the win. 27 points from Amaya Joyner, 16 rebounds, 6 blocks, 3 steals, and uh, 3 assists. So she had quite the night. Uh, 27 points, 10 rebounds, 6 blocks. Mm. Quite the night for Amaya Joyner. Uh, the women's basketball team win 65-44. Good win for Kim McNeil's team. Janae McNeil scoring 18 as well. Okay, let's uh, continue to talk some transfer portal stuff. Uh, Bobby, as uh, Brandon weighs in, says that wide receiver from state is looking like a great commitment. Uh, well, you know, we talked about him earlier, Bobby. He, he, he He'll have a role. We'll just see how big of a role. I like his mindset. We'll see. But I still think there's a need to add more. So ECU also had a few other visitors in this weekend. Uh, Omega Blake from South Carolina, big, tall, physical outside receiver. ECU recruited him out of high school. He visited, uh, you know, has some interest there. We'll see what happened. Winston Wright Jr. from Florida State, slot receiver, was an all-conference guy at West Virginia. Got an unfortunate accident at uh, Florida State in his first spring there. Actually broke his leg, then he came back. He was going to play last year, played in four games. I think he just got over-recruited with some of the talent Florida State has, as we saw on the field this year. But those two guys, at least from a physical and talent standpoint, would make a difference in this receiver room for ECU. So kind of, if the Pirates can pick up one of those, Bobby, and we, we do have – Information. There's a silent commitment out there. We'll find out if it's one of these guys or somebody else at a different position. How much better would this make you feel about ECU's receiver room? Oh, a ton, especially if you get a guy like, you know, say Winston Wright who can fit into that slot role, you know, already having a commitment from Anthony Smith. that That's your outside guy right now opposite of uh, Chase Well. Um, so having a guy like Winston be able to fit in here to the slot, I think would would be great. I mean, honestly, I would love if if both of them commit because you know you have your slot guy, you have then you know what we were talking about earlier, having another outside guy to compete with Anthony Smith. I think Omega uh, Blake could be that guy. So you know, really fingers crossed, hoping one of these guys is the silent commit uh, because I think that will uh, go a long way in just shoring up this receiving core. For for Caden Hauser and company, and uh, you know if you if you get one of those guys, 
all of a sudden the offense doesn't look that bad from a personnel perspective at the skill positions. Hauser, you know, slot receiver potentially. Smith, Chase Sowell, tight end room. You have to kind of like what's coming back there. Running back room, like, I don't know. Do you feel like running back and tight end is good enough if they add the right pieces around them, or should they try to add more of those spots? I could see them maybe adding another tight end. I don't know kind of how they for right now, you know, we had the guys we have in that room are talented. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few young guys that are really talented and I, I just wonder how, how well they fit and what JDB is wanting and being that he is a tight end, uh, former tight end coach. Maybe he sees, uh, the need to add one additional guy, but I don't think it's a necessity. Uh, again, I, I like those guys in that room. Running back-wise, great to see Rajay Harris coming back. Um, again, Javius Bond, love what he does. I think this offense is tailor-made for him and utilizing his explosiveness and big playability. So I, I like those two specifically. Uh, you know, if we have Green continuing to come back and then and Edwards as well, I mean, with those four guys, you're pretty set. And then let alone the guy we're bringing in tomorrow after he signs and in Engelman, uh, you know, that's a great pickup from uh, the high school ranks. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, I've heard buzz about Michael Allen, former Rose four-star recruit, NC State transfer, being interested in coming here. But I don't know if there's room for him. I mean, you know, you throw in Marlon Gunn, Camaro Edmonds. I mean, you're five, you're going to be six deep as far as scholarship running backs if Engelman signs, which all signs point to he is, and everybody comes back. Now, we'll see what happens over the holiday, but I just don't know if there, there's room. But, uh, you know, certainly he's talented. Defensively, at this point, Bobby, we talked about it. You've added some depth, some competition at edge and linebacker now. Where do you want to see ECU go next from a defensive perspective? And I feel like they do such a good job of playing so many guys. Of course, you won't stand out players, but maybe there's not a crucial need like there is on offense, but you still want to have numbers there. So where do you want to see the Pirates go next defensively in the portal? I'm going to steal everything you've written about, to be honest with you, because that's exactly how I see it. <laughs> um, you, you need another depth piece up front, uh, ne- not necessarily a game changer, not necessarily a starter, uh, but would like to see um, a, a guy that can contribute and, and play some quality snaps on the defensive line. think they need another safety and, and then obviously a corner. I don't think you can have enough corners um, especially with injuries. And, you know, uh, right now all signs point to Jackson and uh, Rebel coming back. But, again, you, you just never know when people go home for the Christmas holidays and, and if, who gets in their ear. So it uh, would make me feel a little bit more comfortable having another DB. And this is no disrespect to anybody in the program, but can we please get a, a punter? I just want a, a transfer punter, and oh, I want that transfer punter to come in and punt. What do you think, Bobby? <laughs> 100%. I mean, that may be more important than quarterback. Golly. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, hey, that's our take. I don't know. I mean, I am the same age as Luke Larson now. Uh, I guess I've always been the same age as Luke Larson, but I just can't envision myself, uh, out there punting. Now, you know, he did kick well in the, towards the end of the season at times, but it's just like the consistency there has been so hit or miss. So. We'll see. We'll we'll table that conversation until till after the new year, Bobby. I can't talk any more special teams. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show here on a Tuesday on Hoist of Colors. Great transfer portal talk, and uh, we'll continue that next on HTC. 
Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Drink up me, Aussie Joe 194.3, the game. All right, welcome into, back into the show. Got a few minutes left. Hoist the Colors, 94.3, the game here on a Tuesday. Bobby Harward is joining us. Philip Pilkington producing. We got a few minutes left. Signing day is tomorrow. Bobby, what's your take on... As somebody who covers it, like I almost feel like this whole transfer portal madness has taken a lot of luster out of what used to be a very exciting day for this early signing period. I don't know. Like I feel like, you know, we'll get the signatures tomorrow and it'll be a big deal, but maybe it's not quite as big a deal as it used to be. I don't know. What is your take there? Yeah, I think there's a couple factors of that. Um, number one, you got. Well, the first move was having two signing days, so you have like an early one and then the the regular signing day of February. So uh, you didn't have as much lead up, and then now the transfer portal um, and all that brings people now. I mean, that's where everybody's recruiting. People are looking for all these guys that have experience or have uh, been in college programs or so it's really taken away from the JUCO ranks, especially as well as kind of the attention that that high school recruits bring. Um, and then on top of that, because of, you know, <laughs> NIL and all that stuff, like, and just the way the transfer portal has worked, it's almost like they're not secured or locked in uh, commitment-wise, even if they signed until they've stepped foot on campus, it seems like. Because it, it always seems we hear stories, and again, we benefited from one last offseason of a guy signing, uh, but then asking out of that NIL, so um, or excuse me, NLI, the, the two acronyms are all mixing me up, but... Um, you know, it, yeah, it, it just takes away some of that luster and really seeing this NCAA decision last week and, you know, where it's headed with unlimited transfers, it's just going to be a, a complete mess. Got about a minute left in the show, Bobby, and I may be putting you on the spot here, but is there a guy or two on this high school commitment list that you're really excited about seeing signed tomorrow and kind of seeing how they do develop early on at ECU? Uh, yeah, Yannick Smith is one, um, again, getting some SEC attention. So the fact we're able to hold on to him, I think he's a big body type. Excited to see what Engelman can do um, from an explosiveness standpoint and how he fits in. Um, and, and then defensively, you know, it looks like they've added a lot of safety. So there's going to be a lot of com- competition there and, and see who kind of grows and develops to be able to move into one of those outside linebacker spots. All right, Bobby, this has been a lot of fun, man. We appreciate the time, and you've been a great guest all year long on the inaugural year of Hoist the Colors, and we really appreciate it, man, every Wednesday, and in this week's case, Tuesday. But you've provided a lot of insight. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, always enjoy being on the show, and uh, you do an awesome job. So it's really cool to see uh, and watch you from home every, every other weekday that I'm not on. So, Well, I appreciate it, man. We'll get you back on early next year. Hopefully uh, right after the new year, and we'll hopefully have some new Pirate Editions to talk about. But we'll do that then. For Bobby Harward and Philip Pilkington, I am Stephen Igo signing off on this Tuesday. We will be back again tomorrow, Wednesday, for a special signing day edition. Live stream starts at 1030, and we'll re-air at 12 noon on 94.3 The Game. We'll talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host,